911, what's the nature of your emergency? Fire, military, and families, and to everybody who is listening in on the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton, and I'm always so happy on Tuesday mornings because this is typically when I get to spend time very, very bright and early with somebody that um, is, is wanting to come on and drop value and just share their time with us. And this morning, it just so happens to be Mr. Nick Dowdery. Nick, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for, for coming on. You have story that I'm very curious and interested about and everybody who listens knows that I ask super selfish questions and um, we'll definitely make sure that today is kind of on theme with that. Now I know that you have served as a police officer since 2003 so if you could just talk to us a little bit about your background and then we'll make the journey as to what you're doing now and how you help people. Yep. So I came into law enforcement in 2003 and spent my time uh, and, uh, and patrol, did some work as a school resource officer and an underage alcohol and drug task force officer, uh, promoted to sergeant and spent about five years uh, as a sergeant with my time in patrol and then uh, semi-retired as, uh, as the intel sergeant. And I still serve as a reserve officer, but my only job really as a reserve officer is uh, to kind of teach the financial wellness component that's now kind of you know, grown a uh, uh, on its own to become a national entity. That's amazing. So what got you into law enforcement in the first place? Um, I had a roommate that was a really good friend of mine, and I was actually selling senior trips before I became a cop and um, uh, watched him go through the police academy. And at that time, I was kind of in a, in a rut of, am I really going to sell senior trips for the rest of my life? And so enjoyed watching what my friend went through and I thought, Hey, that'd be kind of neat. Let's, let's, let's get into that. And so it wasn't necessarily anything six months beforehand. Uh, if you had told me, I would have laughed at you, but I kind of fell into it and, and loved every second of it. That's great. Good morning, everybody. Now, as you're listening to this, you might not know this. Good morning. But whenever I do these, these interviews, you guys, I have this pre-interview questionnaire. And one of the questions is, what is one thing that people can't tell just by looking at you? Um, and <laughs> Mr. Nick here answered that he once had a $21,000 car stereo system. So talk to us about that and how that was um, this, this sort of element in your spending habits at one yep. point in time. So I always like to tell people when I came into law enforcement, I did stupid with a bunch of zeros on it. And I had gotten uh, into the world of competitive car audio. Um, and my last car stereo system was a 2001 Honda Accord Coupe. That had Wait, I'm going to have to pause you. Competitive car audio. What is Correct. that? So there's actually a competitive league where you go out and you compete against other cars. And there's two classes. There's how loud you can make your car, which is honestly what I wish I had done because it's pretty cheap to throw a bunch of speakers in a car and make it loud. And then there's competitive car audio in the sound quality realm, which is what I chose to compete in, which is how realistic can you make your car sound? And uh, hence the $21,000 stereo system, because uh, you got to spend a lot of money to get really good quality audio in a car. And so I put a $21,000 stereo in the car. That was the last stereo I put in cars. Um, at that point, I had accumulated over $30,000 in credit card debt, all on car stereos from that stereo system and the previous ones. And that's really what precipitated me into the financial wellness side of things. Uh, I, I came home one day after working my shift of patrol. And, and of course, I never worked my shift on patrol. I always did my overtime before I even came in the door. And I was 
exhausted. And, and I walked over to my kitchen table and on my kitchen table, if you tallied up not just the credit card debt, but the other consumer debts I had, I had over $80,000 in consumer mm -hmm. debt. And I was a rookie officer stuck in the overtime trap. And that's what started really this journey of financial wellness for me. Hmm. Wow. So you're, you're in this kind of swing of becoming a police officer. You have this competitive edge with car stereos, which I didn't even know was a thing. And it's loud. It, it must be loud. I've, I've never heard a stereo system like that before. I didn't even know that that was something that existed. But we, we all know how it is to get into the thing that we're into. And that just so happened to be yours, which just so happened to be incredibly expensive, it sounds like. So how... How did you come to the realization that this just isn't this isn't going to work for me anymore? I can't do this eighty thousand dollars worth of debt. Well, I, I met this gorgeous girl named Carrie, and I realized that Carrie was going to be the one I was going to marry. And uh, eventually, Carrie's title changed to fiance, and I realized that she agreed to marry me, but I kind of forgot to tell her this little bit of information. And so uh, I had to go sit across the table from the girl I wanted to marry and explain to her that I was eighty thousand dollars in debt. Uh, Carrie was debt free at the time. So you can imagine the look in her face. But of course, I looked at her and said, don't worry, I got a plan. Uh, <clears throat> she looked back at me and said, you better. And I, I was really fortunate. I had a veteran officer that was my beat partner. And he was that cop that would go car to car with the, the young rookies and pound financial wellness into their head. And I was introduced to a book called The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. And I fell in love with the concepts of it. And I committed to Carrie that I was going to pay off all $80,000 in debt over a 24-month period before we got married. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so over the next 24 months, <clears throat> sorry, uh, over the next 24 months, I worked about a thousand hours of overtime. I sold a bunch of my stuff. And uh, on March 3rd, 2007, we got married 100% consumer debt free, everything but the house. And that's really what started my journey. I kind of became the Dave nerd and fast forward to 2012. And when, when Chief Steve Dye came on board at Grand Prairie, he asked me to start teaching financial wellness to the rookies and, and then I started teaching to the whole department. And before you know it, I kind of realized that my passion for, for helping first responders with finances was overtaking my passion for becoming a cop. And that's ultimately what led me uh, to give up my sergeant stripes and kind of dedicate myself to, to the realm of financial wellness for first responders. Hmm. What does it mean to be financially well? Freedom. Uh, it's freedom. It, it's I always tell people, it, you know, dream with me for a second. Imagine your life right now. There's no car payments. There's no credit card payments. You have a fully funded emergency fund, so you're not worried about Murphy moving in. Uh, there's there's no house payment down the road. You know, what could you do with your life? And I always tell people, you know, my favorite quote from Dave Ramsey, and there's a lot of versions of it, is if you live like no one else later on in life, you get to live like no one else. You sacrifice a little bit now, you never have to sacrifice ever again. But I tell you what, one of the most beautiful things about becoming financially you know, fit it has become is my favorite version of Dave Ramsey's quote, which is if you live like no one else, later on in life, you get to give like no one else. And that's one of the most beautiful things that has come from this journey is, yes, we've become financially fit. We've become financially well, not because we made a bunch of money, just because we followed some simple principles, but it's given us that ability to give back like no one else as well. What did it take for you to require the discipline to be able to transform yourself financially within those 24 months? The dreaded word we all hate, budget. <laughs> uh, the dreaded B word, getting myself on a budget and starting to realize how much money was coming in and where it was going out and how to really fine tune that. 
was really the turning point that made me realize, one, I could pay off the $80,000 in debt. But then even after we became debt free, the budget was the key to realizing how we can use that uh, wealth building tool, which is our paycheck, to start to build wealth. You know, a lot of times I see people that they're, they're debt free and they're doing really good and, and they don't have a, they don't do a budget. And they're like, well, we don't need to do a budget. We've, we've got plenty of money. But the reality is, is that that's some of the most important times is now that you've built that discipline on getting out of debt. Now you can use that budget to figure out what you're going to do with that excess money to, again, have fun, vacation, give those kinds of things. But the budget is the single biggest key to anything financial rated, related, getting out of debt getting through a crisis, building wealth, retirement, you name it. So we know that not just with police officers, but first responders as a whole, there's such there's such this wide array of, of income. And it blows my mind here in California versus talking to sergeants and lieutenants that live in Oklahoma, for example, what their what their salary is, what the difference is. So can you talk a little bit about what it looks like that kind of mentorship that you give to other other officers or the first responders when it's time for them to maybe start considering this for themselves? Yep. So I always start my class off when I teach in person with a couple of quotes. And one of my favorite two quotes I start with is, is first and foremost, you're either going to learn to manage money or the lack of it's going to learn to manage you. And the second one is there's no excuses. It doesn't matter where you've been. It only matters where you're going. We've all written our beginning chapters when it comes to money. And trust me, I've done stupid with zeros at the end of it. We've all done dumb with money. But that doesn't need to define us going forward. We have the ability to rewrite our chapters going forward. And it doesn't matter if you make 30000 a year or $100,000 a year. You know, I, I'm a financial planner by, by nature now as well. And I work with a lot of millionaires. And it's always kind of interesting to see the dynamics of my millionaires because I work 90% with cops and almost all of my millionaires are sergeant level and below. I, I work with two dozen chiefs of police in the state of Texas. Very few of my chiefs of police are millionaires, but they make two to three times more than what their line level officers are. It wasn't their salary that made them rich. It was their spending habits. Dave Ramsey's book is actually designed to take the average household income in America, $50,000 a year in annual income combined, and turn that person into a millionaire in about 20 years. And he's got a 30-year track record of doing it. And it all just revolves around being disciplined with your money. Can we, for anybody that might have missed what you just said, can we dive into that for, for another second? So somebody essentially could be making much more money in terms of the number that they're bringing in on their tax return. However, when it comes to the the actual reality of what they're saving, what they're, they have in terms of assets and things like that, it sometimes isn't even comparable to somebody who is making significantly less. Explain, no. explain how that's possible. You know, I, I, I'll go back to the 08 crisis. And, you know, in, in Grand Prairie, in the southern part of Grand Prairie, there's a really, some really, really nice neighborhoods, you know, five, six hundred, $700,000 homes. And I remember, you know, we would get dispatched to a burglar alarm and there'd be an open door in the back yard. So we got to go search the house and we'd open the door to start searching the house. And it was a really easy search because the only thing in the entire 5,000 square foot home was a mattress in the master bedroom. On the outside, they looked like they were wealthy, but they couldn't afford the furniture in the house. And it, you, I, I work with people that make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and they don't have a, a you know what to go to the bathroom in really. They just they're, they're they're wrapped up in all these material things. They drive nice cars. They have nice houses. 
But the reality is they're one financial hiccup away from complete financial ruin. And unfortunately, we saw a lot of that back in March with a lot of our tops because we saw the you know, we saw COVID hit. And for a lot of agencies, overtime completely dried up. I mean, we wrote an article for law enforcement today about that about how we've got a, a nation full of cops that, that really can't work overtime now. And that, now let's throw into the mix a spouse that's been laid off or furloughed. And it, it all of it was revolved around the fact that we've, we've lived beyond our means. We don't have an emergency fund and we're not doing a budget. We're living paycheck to paycheck. And that's really a big issue in our industry with law enforcement and, and fire as well. You know, what's it matter if I live paycheck to paycheck? I got a good government job. I'm going to get a check every week well, or every two weeks. Well, the reality is, is that every 10 years, the average person has a $5,000 whoopsie. And if we can't take care of that $5,000 whoopsie because we're living paycheck to paycheck, we're setting ourselves up for that stress instantly. Being house poor is real. Absolutely. I'm not sure who says this um, because you're, you didn't give permission for me to see your name yet, but it says, I like spending money. And that is such an important point because who, who doesn't like spending money, right? And having your experience, not only as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, but also having gone through this yourself, Nick, how does somebody mentally prepare themselves for that, that bad word, that yeah. bad B word of budget? So first and foremost, you've got to understand your characteristics. So most families have a nerd and a free spirit. I'm the nerd in my family. My wife carries my free spirit. She hates the B word with a passion. It just she, she has no interest in looking at a budget. Now, on the flip side, there's two other dynamics in the family. You usually have a spender and a saver. And even though I'm the nerd in my family, my name's Nick and I like to buy stuff. I'm the spender in my family. I mean, you don't spend $21,000 on a stereo and not have a spending habit. My wife is my natural saver. And so you've got to realize that dynamic within a budget. And if you're single, I always tell my single folks, uh, you got to have someone that you can trust, you can run your budget through that can talk you off that ledge. And the budget helps you prepare you for that because you can see, I don't have the money to do that. But that accountability partner is just as important. You know, whether it's a spouse or a friend, they have to be able to have the wherewithal to look you in the face and say, hey, Bozo, it's a $250 car repair. Fix your stupid car. Right? We've all had that internal discussion. We take a $250 car repair and we turn it into a $600 truck payment for the next five years just because the car broke down. And they've got to be able to talk you off that ledge and go, hey, do you really need that right now? And there's nothing wrong with having an accountability partner so that you can make sure that you don't buy off on something that's going to cause irreparable harm financially for the next five, six years or even just a year. Yeah, absolutely. COVID sucked along with a roommate moving. <clears throat> it seems like so many people have had so many things in addition to, to COVID sucking. Nick, as a kid, my dad, who was law enforcement, always taught me to pay myself first and it yep. worked. What is the number one piece of advice that you can give a new officer in setting up their financial future? Clint's question. So the number one, uh, besides the budget, would be you've got to work on a debt reduction program and you've got to work on uh, an emergency fund. <clears throat> one of the things I stress to my rookie officers is you got to be careful. We all have uh, what are called deferred comp accounts for the most part, so 457 mm -hmm. retirement plans. And a lot of times those reps will come into our young rookie academies and and they really preach something that's counterintuitive to what we preach. And you'll hear something like along the lines of, hey, you know, rookie, you need to you need to work on paying some of your debt down. You need to put a little bit in savings every month. And oh, by the way, you need to start saving for retirement because it'll get here before you knew it, know it. And I look back and I remember hearing those words and re I remember going, man, 
this is good advice and this is what I should be doing. I look back now knowing what I know and I go, that was setting me up for failure because if you have your foot in too many different pots or you're treading water, eventually you get tired and you drown because the Murphy event's going to happen. You're going to have the emergency. And if we're just putting a little bit in emergency savings while we're trying to pay off debt and trying to raise, uh, trying to save for retirement, we're going to end up stopping the emergency fund using debt or worse rating retirement accounts. And so I, one of the things I love about the, the seven baby steps of Dave Ramsey is you have gazelle intense focus on one step at a time. You tunnel vision in. And in first responder land, the word tunnel vision is a bad word because tunnel vision will get you killed. But in our world of finances, it's really good in that if we tunnel in and we focus on, all right, one thing at a time, let's get our budget done. Let's focus on getting out of consumer debt. Then let's focus on building a fully funded emergency fund. Now think about how much more money you can put into retirement and we're financially healthy now. We're not worried about crap. I can't work overtime this month or my kid got sick and I missed the job. So I can't, I'm not going to get that extra $400. So it really is focus on building the financial strength, build the foundation first. Don't try to do it all at once. Brian here is asking, what about two-time divorce and still recovering but has good credit? What advice would you give? I'm not a big uh, fan necessarily of credit. In essence, credit is, is, is a marketing tool. Um, I get there. You know, If I do differ with Dave a little bit, I do agree that there is a responsible way to use credit in America. It's just that very few people have that ability to do it. And you know, there's two things I've studied extensively when it comes to building wealth. First, I've studied marketing and how credit cards and debt are marketed. And two, I've studied how millionaires live. And when it comes to millionaires, overwhelmingly, all of the studies show they don't use debt for anything at all, hardly. Uh, over 70% of the millionaire survey don't use credit cards. 88% don't have debt. And unfortunately, in our industry, we have a very, very high divorce rate. I tie it back to those rookies because I don't think we do a good enough job preparing our spouses for the change that our rookies are going to go through. And then 12 months after we hire them, they're not the same person their spouse married. And we just don't prepare them for that. It sets them up for failure. I think the other thing we, we, we do a discredit to our rookies with is, is we hire these cops. And in a lot of cases, they're making more money than they've ever made in their entire life. And it's like, it's like winning the lottery. You do stupid things like buy $21,000 stereo systems uh, in essence. Um, but on the divorce rate, you really got to go back to the fundamentals. Your two-time divorce, I'm assuming there's probably some quadros in play for your pension. So that means we may have to work longer in essence, <clears throat> but it goes back to the basics. Focus on that budget, focus on what we have coming in, what we have going out <clears throat> and how are we going to recover from this financially and start to build towards that retirement. Don't fall into the traps of, um, you know, for lack of a better term, and please don't take offense by this of the old pitiful for, for me, I'm, I'm divorced and I need to go buy me a truck to make me feel better because that's what we do is we, we, we kind of regress into those, man, I need something to cheer me up. And then we buy something financially that causes us even more stress down the road. Get back to the basics. Almost kind of like when I, when, when I work with first responders that have had someone die, um, whether it's in the line of duty or not, <coughs> when there's, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. When there's money that comes in, I always tell people it's, you're in a grieving process. Don't make big financial decisions six months to a year. Uh, let yourself grieve. Same thing with a divorce. Don't make big financial decisions for six to 12 months after you divorce. 
because we need to let the dust settle. We need to get over that, that huge emotional drain that we went through so that we can make sure that we're doing the right things financially. So it, it really, it boils down to get your budget in line. Don't worry about the credit. Credit's only there if you want to borrow more money and borrowing more money usually gets you in trouble. There truly is so much mentorship that takes place in your level of expertise. And that's something that I want to point out. And before we wrap this up, um, I know that we mentioned the, the seven step process, but I'm wondering, because we know that that first step is the budgeting, what sorts of maybe softwares or, or programs or strategies do you have for somebody who wants to start on their own budget? Yep. So there's a ton of resources on my website, financialcop.com. And so there's a, a several budgeting blogs that we have. Uh, as well. There's some good tools out there. Uh, Dave Ramsey's everydollar.com is a really good resource. Uh, it's one of my favorite budgeting tools. Uh, YNAB, which stands for youneedabudget.com. Uh, it's a pretty good budgeting software, although it's a little bit more complicated. And if you're not nerdy like me, sometimes that can get a little cumbersome in essence. Um, one of the things that we're working on right now is, uh, you know, I've been so blessed. We've taught about 10,000 first responders nationwide in person in the last couple of years. And um, my wife said, you can't travel 90 times a year anymore if you want to be married to me still. <laughs> and, not, and not so many words. And so we're actually, by the end of this year, going to launch our entire four-hour building financial strength and first responder families class virtually so that anybody in the nation can go through that. We're actually working on some breakout sections. We're going to launch in the first part of next year sometime as well an entire four-hour breakout session on uh, a video series on how to build your first budget as a first responder. So there's a, you know, it, it, there's great resources in the budgeting apps, but we have some cool things coming down the road uh, where you're going to actually have cops teaching first responders how to do this stuff. Very exciting. I can't wait for that to happen. And I hope you let me know when it does. I will. And um, if anybody wants to get a hold of you and maybe start on the next step or start to, to kind of reframe their own finances, how can they contact you? So uh, you can email me directly at nick at financialcop.com. You can also go to our website, uh, again, financialcop.com. And there's uh, several mechanisms on there where you can click to get more information and uh, enter uh, your information. And a member of my team will, will reach out and start helping you in, in any way we can. And I know you also have a Facebook group too. So can you tell us the name of it? Uh, it is uh, Building Financial Strength at First Responder Families. I think if you type at financialcop, it'll pop up too. Same thing for Twitter, at financialcop. Uh, and we're always posting all kinds of things on there. I know uh, in California, um, uh, Cortico, the wellness app is pretty big. Um, it's actually actually getting pretty big across the nation. We actually just signed on to become their exclusive provider for financial wellness content. So if you've got access to Cortico at your department, uh, you can request financial cop information directly through the app as well. Oh, that's cool. I know there are more questions here. We'll go ahead and tag Nick directly and he'll help to answer the rest of them. And Nick, thank you so much for dropping so much value and sharing your morning with us. And um, thank you for all the work that you continue to do. Thank you. Honored to be here. Have a good day. You too.